morning, everyone. And it's so good to be with you again. And uh, someday we're going to shed those things permanently, I know. You can't wait, right? When I heard some of you talking this morning about um, Thanksgiving, and my heart's there too. I mean, it was this lady down here that was talking about this. We have seven children. Some of you maybe know that. So this year has been really problematic for us in terms of what are we going to do because with all the grandkids too and the seven kids, my wife and I, we exceed the numbers that you're supposed to have, you know, in your own home. So we've been trying to come up with some uh, interesting ideas around that as to how to do it. We, we've been going things. So we, we're going to probably have more turkey than you'll ever imagine because we're going to be going to different houses. So going to my son's place and daughter's places, and uh, then eventually we'll have the other ones that don't have a big enough place yet. We'll have those at our house on Thanksgiving Monday. So I'll be uh, really having lots of turkey. I'm, that's the good thing. The bad thing is, too, I'll be having lots of turkey. But anyway, it, it, I know all of you are going to have to work with this, too. Uh, it's not easy, is it? You know, we, we're going through this in other churches, and people are doing the same. They're all working through this. We're trying to make the best of it, as you well know, and everybody is. It's um, not been easy on people. And, you know, people have lost jobs. I was uh, just telling someone earlier about the bank manager was telling me that uh, about a lot of their clients and people... In down around the Brantford region and area, have um, you know already uh, are bankrupt. Um, they, it's it's really been a, a horrific thing. And so when you're praying this morning for people, and praying for you know the nation down south of us as well as our own nation here, uh, you need to keep that up because we need to pray that God will really um, really intervene in a lot of these situations because people are really you know, really feeling it. And I know maybe some of you in your own community too are also going through these struggles as well. Not a very easy thing. I'm happy though for you to hear that you're having a pastor finally coming. That's exciting news. I was um, talking to your pastor a little while back and sounds like a great fella. I think he'll do a great job. We're looking forward to having him finally get here with you. And I know as you are as well. And a few more months will go by pretty quickly before they arrive. But uh, Oh, that's exciting, and I'm happy for you, and I know it's been a long journey, um, but at least now you can say that that's over, and um, it's quite exciting to know that they're coming and going to be here with you. My prayer is that you will, um, you know, really work with them, um, you know, really pray for them and get behind them, and uh, may the Lord, you know, bless the both of you as you labor together here in the community, that God will do some real wonderful things. As I was listening to Anna just before my message uh, this morning, talking about the youth and talking about uh, how excited she is. It's obvious, you can tell, you can see that. Uh, she's got quite a passion for the young people. I thought over the years of Chalmers, because I don't know, some of you may not know this history, but Charlie and Barbara Wallace had had a tremendous impact on young people over the years when they were doing a Sunday school class here. There was a lot of youth over the years that uh, went through that class. And they had a great impact on those young people. So Chalmers has always had a kind of a real interest in young people. And I, I think that's exciting. And I don't think you ever want to lose that. Uh, please keep that up. And because uh, by the sounds of it, you get a lot of younger kids now that are going to be soon moving into those ranks. So that's exciting. Well, today, listen, I wanted to speak to you about something that um, I don't know whether or not this title will uh, make much sense to you. Because if I actually read the title this morning to you like this, and I said, the older I get, the more forgetful I become, well then, you would all identify with that probably pretty quickly, right? But actually, it doesn't quite say that. 
I mean, we all know the experiences of going downstairs, going into the basement, and wondering whether or not we're going to be able to remember what it was we went down there for. You know, you all have those experiences, right? Or where did I put my keys for the car? I know they're somewhere here in the house. Now, you think that's only for somebody over 50, right? But what about some of you under 50? You ever had those experiences? Have you ever gone down to the basement? Put your hand up, and you don't know what in the world you went down there for, and you're trying to remember? Usually happens with mothers when they got all kinds of kids and all kinds of activity in the house. But it doesn't say that. What it says this morning is the older I get, the more forgetful I must become. Now, that's a deliberate action this morning that you need to take because there's real spiritual benefit to becoming forgetful. And we're going to share with you a little bit about that. An older man one day was reading his paper in the morning over his cup of coffee. And his wife came over to him and she said to him, honey, she said, do you know what today is? I bet you don't know what it is. And he looked at her up from his paper and he looked at her and he said, of course I do. Went back to reading his paper. Truth of the matter was, he had no idea what in the world today was. And so as he began to think about this, he began to wonder, was it her birthday? Was it, is it our anniversary? And he was having a real moment of puzzlement. He couldn't figure it out for the second. And he said to himself, you know, I know my wife gets really upset over these things. She's very sensitive. So I better remember what this is. So he thought to himself, maybe it's her birthday. So what I'll do when I get to work, I'll call the florist and I'll have a bouquet of flowers sent to my wife. As the day went on, though, he began to think to himself, well, you know, maybe the flowers may not be enough for such a very important day. And then he said to himself, and what if it's our anniversary? So he went down to the jewelry store, down to his office, and he picked out a beautiful gold necklace. And it had it specially delivered to his wife at home. As he started home from work, he decided that maybe he should also stop and buy an expensive box of chocolates. That was because he knew his wife loved chocolate, and he thought that might just sort of put the icing on the cake. Well, he pulls into the driveway, and his wife runs out to greet him. And as he gets out of the car, he presents her with the box of chocolates. Well, she comes in, in excitement. She throws her arms around him, and she says, Oh, honey, she says, this is the best Groundhog Day I've ever had. that's probably one day his wife was really glad that he had forgot what it really was. Now, the truth of the matter is, in the Bible, there are many things that actually Paul, in particular, tells us that we need to learn to forget. And I'm going to share that with you as you look at a text with me. It's on the screen. You can look in your Bible, too, as well, if you want. It's in Philippians, because in chapter 3, Paul is telling us about the need to um, remember certain things. Now, if you've got a Bible, it's Philippians 3 and verse 7 to 11. And as you listen to these words by Paul, I want you to think about what Paul is saying here. He starts off by saying, those things were important to me. Now, he's talking here quite strongly about what things... Actually, let's go back to a few more verses and pick it up in verse 5 and 6. We'll start there if you have a Bible open to Philippians chapter 3. Paul teaches this truth. He says, I was circumcised eight days after my birth. I am from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew, and my parents were Hebrews. I'm a strict view of the law, which is why I became a Pharisee. I was so enthusiastic, he said, I tried to hurt the church. 
No one, he said, could find fault with the way I obeyed the law of Moses. Now, just stop for a minute and think about this. The Apostle Paul is telling you everything about his life before he became a Christian, a follower of Christ. And he has a really impressive and stellar resume for someone who is a Jew. And if you knew that context, you would understand that Paul is telling you here that he is a real Jew, thoroughbred, through and through. This man, of all the Jews, could boast and boast proudly about his heritage. He could boast about his past and all that he achieved by being a Jew. He was, while his life was impressive and stellar, Paul goes on to make some really startling statements. Now let's pick it up in verse 7. And I want you to notice the transition. First of all, he's telling you all that he is so proud about. But then he goes to verse 7 and to the Philippians, he says this. Those things were important to me. But now, he said, I think they are worth nothing because of Christ. Not only those things, but I think that all things are worth nothing compared with the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have lost, he said, all of those things. And now I know, he says, they are worthless trash. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. I want to know Christ, he says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, the, the apostle made it very clear here that all the things that were important to him as a Jew, all the things that impressed others, his resume, like I said, was stellar. He said he was willing to jettison it like cargo over a ship. He was willing to throw it overboard. He was willing to lay it all behind him because of one purpose. One theme alone was driving the apostle. It was that very thing that had captivated his mind and his interest. And it wasn't going around and wearing his credentials like a badge. It was the overwhelming urge and sense that he had to want to become like Jesus, to know Jesus and to know his greatness. And he sums all of this up in verse 11 by saying this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now let me ask you a question. That's a noble statement. I want you to think about it for a moment and ask yourself, could that be mine? Would that be my ambition this morning? If I'm a serious Christian at all, or I take my Christianity serious, could those words that Paul uttered be also words that I can speak today? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I'm sure a lot of you will identify with that. If you're a Christian, your one ambition is to want to know Jesus more, not less. And then he says, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now, some of us might want not to go there. We might not think that that's important. But yet Jesus is basically telling us, and Paul is too, that as we grow through our sufferings, as we go through our trials and difficulties, Jesus is molding us and making us into more of a stronger follower of his. Becoming like him in his death. 
Paul is saying, I want to be able to die to myself. To give it up. All my ambitions, all of the things that I hold dear to my heart, I want to jettison it all so that I may know Christ. Now Paul says in verse 12, which is our text this morning, this is what I want you to see. And I had these up here. I'm sorry I didn't uh, pull those up for you to see this. But let's go down to this verse here. Now, verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all of this, or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul had spent 25 years up to this point in his life in ministry for Jesus. He finds himself now writing a letter to the Philippian church in a prison in Rome. And these were dank prisons, dark, musty, smelling prisons. These were prisons not unlike the ones we have today at all. There was no comparison. These were very, very dismal places to be. And of course, if you know Philippians at all, you'll know that the letter is written to the Philippian church and it's trying to encourage them. It's all about the joy we can have as Christians. And here the Apostle Paul, as he's writing in chapter 3, verse 12, he is telling them something about his life. And this is the first thing that I want you to think about as we're going through this. The first thing we need to do if we're going to ever get to the place of knowing Jesus is we need to be able to assess our own present situation because the Apostle Paul says these words, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Taking hold of what? The prize to which he has been called in Christ Jesus. Now the word consider is an interesting word. It means to ponder, to think over, to do some serious reflection. And the Apostle Paul is saying, after 25 years of ministry, I do not consider myself yet to have attained this. Now, this is a guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He helped spread Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. He confronted the cults and critics of his day. He made an incredible impact on his world through his missionary travels and journeys that he had made. And here is a man that is saying to the Philippian church, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I'm not there yet, is basically what he's saying. I have not arrived. I'm not perfect. I have much more to do. The Apostle Paul is looking at his life and he's saying... You know, as I look at my life, it's not that impressive because I have yet much more to do and I have to keep following this call on my life to become more like Jesus. Now, many people would think after 25 years of ministry, like Paul, why well, you could just sort of sit down and take it easy, relax and say, hey, look at me, haven't I done a good job? Look at me, what I've accomplished. And Paul would have nothing of it. Paul wouldn't look at his life at this point and say, my, aren't I a wonderful Christian? Look at my life. No, Paul is not there at all. Paul is looking at his life and he's reflecting on it as he assesses his situation. And he's saying, I have so much more to do yet. 
So one of the first things we need to do if we're going to ever become serious about following Jesus, we really need to learn to look at our present situation. Not back here, but right here, where we are right now in our growth with Jesus. Maybe some of you have been serving him for 10 years, 15 years or less. Maybe some of you have been serving him a lot longer than 15 and 20 years. Paul is saying to all of us, no matter where we find ourselves, at what station in life we are, Paul is looking at us and he's saying to the church at Philippian Church and to us as well, he's saying these words, I do not consider myself yet to have attained it. I'm not perfect. I've not arrived. I'm not there yet. You know, Paul could have sat there in the prison like you and I. This is what we could have done and he could have done it as well. When you're in the prison, one of the first things you know you can do is you can start to be depressed about your current circumstances. Now, he could have done that. The other thing Paul could have done is while he was in prison, he could have looked back at the past, at former days when he wasn't in prison and he had his freedom and he could look back at all of those times and begin to pine after those good old days. Do you know what good old days are? I used to hear that phrase a lot in the church. Pastor, you know, things are, are not like they used to be, you know. And I used to wonder what they were talking about when you used to say used to be or the good old days. What were those good old days? It's an amazing thing because people seem to like to keep the church somewhere in the past, never in the present. And I used to have to always deal with that as a pastor because we're living today. We're not living back there. And whatever God did for you and for the church back there, guess what? God can do it again today. God can, he's not changed. Maybe you have, but not, not God. And so whatever good old days we imagined, God can still do those things today in our lives. But I'd see people dig their feet in. They'd resist. They'd have every kind of excuse as to why we shouldn't change this, change that, do this, do that. And you know, we're not talking about changing the gospel at all. We're just talking about ways to introduce the gospel. So that, like Paul, I, he said this, I would become all things to all people so that I might win them to Christ. Paul was willing to be flexible, are we? Well, the good old days can really cripple the church. And you know what used to bother me? I used to say, I wonder if these people would like to go back to those good old days, you know, in their homes. Now, some of you are old enough to remember this, and some of you will look at me and you'll say this morning, I don't have a clue what that man's talking about. But do you remember ringer washers? Come on, let's see how many of you are still old enough to... <laughs> well, that's quite a few of you. Now, for those of you that don't have a clue what a ringer washer is, well, it's this big tub, and it has a handle on it for, like, a gear, and then it has these two rollers at the top, these kind of rubber rollers that sit in this little thing over the top, and you put your clothes to the rubber rollers to get all the water out, right? It was the modern version then of a dryer, although it wasn't a dryer. <clears throat> but it would wring them out. Now, my mom used to say to me, she said, do not get your fingers near those rollers ever. And I had stern warnings because, you know, I was a little redheaded kid, a little hyper. My mom might say more than that. But she used to say to me, don't go near that. And I made sure that I didn't get my fingers in there because I saw what it did to clothes and I figured, well, you know what? I'm not getting my fingers anywhere near that thing. I used to hear some horror stories about those things. They weren't safe. People used to get their hair caught in them and everything. But that was all back in the good old days. 
Yeah, and, and now you just take your clothes, you throw them in the washer, push a couple buttons, take your clothes out, throw them into the dryer. You see, back in the good old days, my mom would take the clothes out of the ringer washer, she'd put them out on a clothesline, and this would be like in December and January, and they would come in stiff as boards, frozen. She'd stand them up in the corner and let them dry the rest of the time. I said, Mom, what do you do that for? Because I said, they're not dry, but they smell better, she said, son. <laughs> Yeah, that's back in the good old days. And do you remember the times when, you know, you'd go out and you'd have to get out, literally out of your house, put your coat on, get your uh, snow brush out, go out there and clean all the car off, go out and get in the car, actually turn the key and get the car started to warm your car up? Well, now, that was back in the good old days. Well, now all you got to do is stand there at your house and push a button and warm your car all up for yourself. Why is it, though, with those things that we have today, the modern technology we have today, that some people in the church say, we want to go back to here, to where it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. It just doesn't make sense. There are a lot of things that are moving ever forward. Now, you may say, well, they're not all for the good. That's true. But then you've got to remember this, that the world we're living in right now, it, it is really a hectic world, is it not? It's really a difficult world. It's fast-paced. It's kind of crazy. I came across this article just to give you an illustration of our world today. It starts off like this. It says, the world is too big for us. Too much is going on. Too many crimes, uh, too much violence and excitement. And try as hard as you will, you get behind in the race. In spite of yourself, it's an incessant strain to keep pace. And still, you lose ground. Science empties its discoveries on you so fast that you stagger beneath them in hopeless bewilderment. The political world's news seems to change so rapidly you're out of breath trying to keep pace with who is who and who's in and who's out. Everything is high pressure. Human nature can't endure it much more. Now that article sounds like something out of today's newspaper, right? It, it just describes us to a T. Well, the truth of the matter is, it's out of a paper from 185 years ago in the Atlantic Journal in June 16, 1833. You know, back in those good old days. So you see, Paul could have pined away for those good old days. He could have remembered the nice times of fellowship he enjoyed, the nice warm meals that he would have had in those potluck gatherings. He could have pined away for all of those good times sitting in a prison cell. And now he feels he has to write a letter to the Philippians. Well, what does he write to them? Does he tell them, oh, give it up, quit. There's no use serving Jesus. Looks where it takes you. It puts me in the prison. So why do you want to serve him? Paul could have taken any kind of angle like that, but he didn't. No, Paul is sitting here encouraging that church he is really working hard to make them understand that this journey's not over yet and don't give up, don't quit, keep hanging in there. So Paul says, I do not consider. He took a hard look at his life and that's what you and I need to do today if we're going to get anywhere today in our growth with Jesus Christ. Look at our lives. The second thing we need to do is this. We need to look at our lives and we need to eliminate everything that holds us back. Paul said, this one thing I do in verse 13, this one thing, and now he could have done a lot of things. Think about this. 
He's focused here. He's very centered on something. And he says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on. When Paul says these words, this one thing I do, I forget what is behind. What is it about the Christian life that you and I must learn to forget? Have you ever thought about that? This one thing I do, I forget what is behind. Now, some can say for Paul, well, we know there, there are some things maybe he needed to forget. But what about you and me? What are some of the things that we need to forget today? Well, first of all, let me tell you this. We need to forget the failures of our past. You know, when you think about the Apostle Paul for a second, let's look at him, because maybe you'll identify with him for, for a moment. When the Apostle Paul actually wanted to forget the failures of his past, the Apostle Paul might have had a difficult time with that. Why was that? Because, if you think about it for a moment, the Apostle Paul persecuted the church. The Apostle Paul put people in prison. He had others that were stoned to death. He was there holding Stephen's clothes while the first martyr of the church was stoned to death. And Paul was watching it. Now, there are things in his life that when he came to Jesus, he could have looked back and those memories, those things that he participated in and those things that he did could have haunted Paul. It could have arrested his steps and his progress for Jesus. It could have held him right there. It could have trapped him right in that spot of no progress because he could have just got hung up on all of the failures of his past. But Paul didn't sit around there looking at those things and letting them cripple his past. He didn't sit there and say to the Philippians, you know, I got so much baggage, I can't even go on. I can't even make it to the end. Now, the Apostle Paul could have said, yes, look, these things dog my footsteps everywhere I go. They're memories that are so hard to jettison. And you and I as Christians today have memories. We've got things that we would like to forget, things that we should forget, things that we need to put behind us as Christians. But sometimes the devil likes to come and whisper in your ear all the time. Remember this? Remember that? Remember when you did this? How about this one? Remember that? And you know somehow you can sit there and you can brood over those things. And those things can actually keep you from growing in your relationship with Christ. The Apostle Paul could have done the same thing. Whatever failures this morning are in your past... Whatever memories that you have that haunt you, whatever I should have done or I wish I had statements that you can think about, they are gone. They are over. Do not let them cripple you. Whatever sins God has forgiven you, don't let the devil cough them up. Don't let him bring them up to you and hold them in front of you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that. Tell him that. Look at this picture in a proper way. And every time the enemy wants to sit on you and breathe on you and make you feel like you are a defeat and a failure, you tell him there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever I did in my past is under the blood of Christ. It's gone. It's not there now. It has been forgiven. The second thing we need to do as, as Christians is we need to learn to forget the successes of our past. 
Now that might surprise some of you because we all like successes. We all like trophies. My son-in-law is in hockey, played junior hockey. He's got, I go down into his basement, he has got trophies and pendants everywhere. The walls are loaded. Now, he doesn't make a deal of those things. It's not that important to him. And if you knew him, you'd know that because he's actually quite humble as a person. But I know that in the Christian life, we can wear our successes as badges somewhat. Years ago, in one of my churches, and this was back when I was probably a young fellow just starting out in ministry, the uh, church that I was in had this kind of a program going on where, you know, for every year you were in Sunday school, you know, you'd get a little pendant, little badge, a little some little thing. And so after a while, if you've been in Sunday school for a number of years, you know, you'd be able to showcase this little pendant that had years of service or years of attendance on it. Well, I had a, a deacon who walked around with that, and, and he had been in the church for as long as Moses was alive. <laughs> and he had one of these things, and it, it, it was impressive. I thought, wow, that's, you know, it goes right down like this. And I thought, well, what a stellar man, I used to think. And, and, and indeed, you know, and he was a good man. Don't get me wrong. But one day, you know, he came to me and he was being humble, or at least it looked like that. And he said to me, you know, pastor, he said, I've been teaching Sunday school for nearly 30 years now. And... Um, I said, yeah, I know, it looks like it. I, no, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. But I felt like, okay, where's this going? And so he looked at me and, and he said, I really think it's time for some younger people to get involved with this and do this and take this over. Sneaky guy that he was, what he really, really was planning for here is for, I want to do some traveling in my retirement. And I thought to myself as I looked at that, and I, and I just had a check in my spirit. And I, I looked at him and I said, you know what? I don't think that you ought to ever say to God that it's time for me to retire, so to speak. As if somehow you can get shelved in the kingdom. As if somehow you are no longer valuable and you have no more contribution to the kingdom of God. Nice try, I said, but God still needs you. God still needs you involved in his kingdom. And you can't just simply... Now, I understand that you have a noble cause of wanting someone younger to come along and get involved. I get that. Well, mentor them, I said. Pull them into your class. Teach them how you do it. Show them how you do it. But don't abandon this role that you have of being involved in the kingdom. Sometimes we need to forget our successes because they will stop us in our tracks and make us not want to go on and continue to do some great things for God. This man, I believe, honestly felt like he had put in those 30 good years and he needed to step aside. And sometimes, you know, you and I are much like this when it comes to successes. Now, the Apostle Paul, I've already read to you some of his successes. You know, when you think about it, the Apostle Paul could have sat there and he could have said, hey, my time is up. It's over. 25 good years of ministry. Now it's someone else's turn. You don't hear Paul talking like that. You don't hear Paul saying, you know what, it's time to just throw the towel in, give it up, quit. No, Paul doesn't do that. He, 
He looks at the Philippians as he's writing and he's thinking of them in his mind's eye as he remembers his times with them. And he's saying to them, you know what? We need to forget what is behind. And that includes both failures and successes, whatever it may be in your life. Because what successes can do is they can tempt us to coast along in our laurels. They can fill us with pride and arrogance. And God, in effect, is saying to us at every station in our life, he's saying to us, do you know what I want to do with you? I got bigger plans for you. Every day of your life that you get up and breathe, I have plans for you. And those plans are not mediocrity. Those plans are not to sit on your laurels. Those plans are not to look back and say, look at what I did. Those plans are to look at your life today and say, what can I do for you today, Jesus? And what can I do for you tomorrow should you give me breath to breathe for that next day? Don't become intoxicated with your successes. Whatever they may have been in your Christian life, don't get intoxicated with them because they'll keep you frozen in time. They will stop you every time in your tracks as you look at all the things in your past that were such wonderful things. 2,000 years ago, there was a young man by the name of Timanthus. And Timanthus was a respected um, you know, artist who had been schooled under a very respected tutor. After several years, the teacher's efforts finally seemed to have paid off when Timanthus painted an exquisite work of art. Unfortunately, Timanthus became so enraptured with the painting that he would spend days just gazing at his work of art. One morning, when he arrived to admire his work, he was shocked to find it was blotted out with paint all over the canvas. Timanthus was angry. He ran to his teacher, who had admitted to destroying the actual painting, and he said to Timanthus, I did it for your own good. That painting, he said, was hindering your progress. Start again. And see, he said, if you can do better this time. Timanthus was a little miffed, to say the least, and he thought to himself, that was the best I have ever done, and I don't think I can probably do something any better. But as he mused about this picture and this situation, he began to feel like he should take up his uh, tutor's advice. And so he did. And he painted a work that's called The Sacrifice of Ephangina. It is considered as one of the finest paintings of all antiquity. Now, the moral of that story is obvious. What if, what if Timanthus would have just stared at the canvas he had painted for all of those last few weeks and months and stopped there in his life? What if his mentor and his tutor just, just did not go ahead and blot out everything on that canvas, but let him come in day after day staring at his work of art? You and I are on this journey and God looks at us and he says to us, do you know what? It's time for you to stop staring at the work of art you've painted in your Christian life. It's time for you to paint a new picture, a new beginning. Start today to look at your life and consider yourself that you've not yet attained it all and begin to do something very concrete in your life for Jesus. Begin to look at him and say, Lord, what is it you want me to do today? And I believe that God wants us all to dream of another picture, of another thing that we can do for him. And church, that goes for all of you 
collectively and personally. There are times you need to take that canvas you've been painting and put that one aside and say, you know what, I got, I don't know how many years left yet, but I need to start really turning my new leaf here over for Jesus and working hard to become all that I can be for him. Paul said, I do not consider my life yet to have arrived. I've not made it. I press on. Those are not words of defeat when Paul said, I consider my life not to have attained it. You say that's, that's words of defeat, but it's not because Paul immediately afterwards says, but I press on. I'm not done. I'm not, I'm not hanging my hat up. I'm not over with yet in my Christian faith and life. I press on. I don't care how much the devil gives me a hard time. I don't even care how many difficulties I have to go through. I press on. I don't care whether I'm in prison or I'm out of prison. I press on. And you can see here in the intensity of Paul that he's focused on wanting to become all that he can be for the Lord Jesus. Your best painting may be yet to come if you think right and you act right. Now, what else do we need to do? The last thing is this. We need to, as Paul says, to press forward with all of our might. We read here in verse 13 where Paul says that I press on straining towards what is ahead. I press on. The word straining here is a very interesting word. It means to use one's energy in the Greek. It means to be intense and focused. It means to put all of one's focus and energy into whatever pursuit this is. And Paul says, I'm straining towards what is ahead. I'm pressing on. What about you today? Are you pressing on? Are you longing to see what Jesus can do with your life? Are you at a point in your life where as the older you get, the more you literally want to forget? The more you want to look back and say, you know, those were good years. Yes, I'm not denying that. I'm not saying we shouldn't be thankful either. But there are times when we got to look back and we got to say, but I'm not living there. You know, the Bible tells me that I'm living today. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the time we need to be doing all we can for Christ and not just simply saying, you know, hey, look at my life. I've done a lot over the years. It's time for me to lay back and quit. When the Apostle Paul says, I press on to that prize which awaits me in Christ Jesus, the greatest prize that Paul could ever think of getting, the greatest thing that each and every one of us could have our eyes focused on is that prize which is heavenward and that prize is to be with Jesus for all eternity. That is the greatest prize. And Paul would not let his eyes lose sight of that goal. And you know, friends, don't dismiss Paul here as some kind of super saint. Don't dismiss him as someone who didn't have the same human feelings, the same problems that you and I have. In one of his letters, Paul says this, it's in Corinthians. And he says this as he's writing his letter, and he's talking about his defense. In other words, his first appearance before the emperor in Rome. And Paul says this, 
And it's, it's, when, when I first read it, I thought to myself, you know, that's incredible when you stop and think about it. He's, he read, reads it and he writes in the pen and he goes like this. He says, and not one person came to my defense. Not one person came to visit me. Here he is in a Roman prison by himself. And no one wants to get associated with him because of fear that they too might be thrown in prison because they're a Christ follower just like him. No one. Can you, can you hear the emptiness there? Can you hear that solitude? One time David was in that same kind of position, King David. He too felt that, that complete angst, that anxiety, that stress, that strain. And David said these words, I looked to my right and no man cared for my soul. Can you hear that? These are ordinary people, just like you and me. And Paul was in prison and he could have said, you know, no one's come to see me. No one's there. No one came to my defense when I appeared before the magistrate. Where are my friends when I need them? You know, Paul could have got hung up on that. He could have taken great excesses and said to the Philippian church, I'm so ticked off about the Christian church. You know, I mean, Tell me you wouldn't have said that sometimes when you think about it, right? Where are my friends when I need them? Well, you sure know who your friends are when what? When the going gets tough. It's so true, isn't it? No, Paul doesn't say that. He, he doesn't get bitter. He doesn't look at that and say, you know what? I got so much here I could be bitter over. And he doesn't do it. He's got one thing on his mind. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this, but, and I love buts in Scripture. They are a transitional little word there that just pulls it right into focus. But this one thing I do. Straining for what is ahead, for that prize that awaits me in Christ Jesus, he said, I press on. You know, every year I come to Chalmers, I'm a little older. And so are you. (laughs) I hate to bust your bubble, but... We're all getting there, aren't we? We're all getting older. And what does that really look like? I mean, besides the gray hairs, the aches, the pains, you know, the groans and moans, getting out of bed in the morning, whatever things that happen as we get into those. Why do they call them golden years? I don't know. Anyway, they're not really all that golden in some respects. But we're getting older. Seemed like only yesterday, and you'll all understand this, you've got children, and the other day, <clears throat> my wife had one of our grandchildren, and she's um, 15 months old. And she had her up on her shoulder, and she was cuddling in and snuggling in. I looked at her, and I just had one of those deja vu moments where I thought, you know what? It wasn't all that long ago. It didn't seem like it. You were holding our daughter like that, too. And time just goes by so fast. My dad used to say, I used to hear him say this all the time. I don't know where all the time goes, boy. It flies by so fast. And, of course, when I used to hear those words, I used to think, well, I don't know what he's talking about because I couldn't wait to get my driving license. I couldn't wait to get, you know, out of high school. And time just couldn't go fast enough. But here's the thing about the Christian life. We only have one life to live. We only have this life we're in. We only have this moment. Are you pressing on or are you arrested in your steps, stopped right in your tracks because of something in your past, something that is prohibiting you from moving forward? 
something that is crippling you in your progress as a Christian? Is there something there that you're unable to let go and let it be in Christ and let it go and say, Jesus, you took care of this. Let me walk in your grace. Let me walk in the freedom that I have in you today because of what you did at Calvary. We need to learn to walk in that grace today. Walk in that faith that, like Paul, we need to press on because there's going to be a prize for us. Sometimes pressing on is not easy. I know that. Will there be obstacles and will there be headwinds? Well, of course there will. It's the Christian life. Nowhere does ever the scriptures give us the picture that it's going to get easier. You know, I don't even see that anywhere at all in the Bible where being a Christian means that all of a sudden things have changed around and the whole course of being a Christian is going to get rosier every day. No, you can't change the direction of the wind when it comes against you, but you can adjust your sails to always reach your destination. And we need to adjust our sails today and take a moment to say, I need to consider my life. Take a look at it. A hard look at it today. Figure out where am I in my Christian life and Christian progress and growth? What do I need to do to press on like Paul? What memories do I need to get rid of? What past failures and successes do I need to jettison? It's a lot about attitude. A lot about our attitude. This one thing I do, Paul says, was a, an attitude. Paul said there probably are many things I could do, but he looked at it and had an attitude that said, this one thing I do. It reminds me about the importance of attitude, about a story about a little boy who was um, standing behind the backstop of a baseball diamond. An older gentleman came up to him and he started to strike up a conversation. And um, as he was watching the older gentleman, he was watching the fact that uh, his team, the little boy's team that was out there, um, the other team that was playing against him, was really doing quite well. And he said, uh, so he happened to ask him, he said, look, he said, what's the score? And the little boy said, it's 18 to 1 for them. And so the gentleman looked at him, he said, well, um, aren't you the least bit discouraged about that? And the little guy looked up at him and said, discouraged? No, he said. Why would I be discouraged, he said. Matter of factly, he looked at the old guy and he said to him, no, he said, sir, he said, um, I won't be discouraged. I can't be discouraged because we haven't even got up to bat yet. <laughs> you see, as Christians, it's time to get up to bat. It's time to let the world stop beating you down. Stop making you feel like you cannot do all that you should be doing for Jesus. It's time to stand up to the plate and say to the world, to the devil, to all that will assail you and criticize you and put you down and make you feel bad, it's time to stand up to the plate as a Christian and say, I press on. This one thing I do, I stay focused on Jesus. No matter what comes my way, I will not give in. I will press on. I was going through a bit of a difficult time and my son sent that to me. He didn't know at the time I was going through that kind of moment in time. I've been sharing with you this morning the importance of pressing on. Someday we want to all hear Jesus tell us, don't we, that well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. I think that's something that we all long for and we need to learn to press on in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul again writing from prison to a young man just starting in ministry said these words, I have fought a good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the race. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me, and not to me only. See, Apostle Paul wasn't a super apostle. He said, it's not only for me, but to all those that love his appearing. If you love his appearing, someday we're going to see him face to face. Press on, church. Press on to become all that Jesus has called you to be. Do not give in. Do not quit. My hockey coach, when we were little young guys, used to say to me every time, he would pace that floor and say to us, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Get going, Chalmers. Get going. Press on. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this privilege of sharing today with Chalmers Community Church and all that call this their home. We're grateful, Lord, for this beacon that's here in this community. So thankful for the outreach and the ministry and impact this church has had over the years in this community. We are grateful, Father, for what you do for us and the good things that you have blessed us with. Looking back in the life of Chalmers, so many things they could look back at and give you such praise and thanks for all the good and wonderful things that, that you have done and you've allowed them to do here in this community. My prayer today is that they'll take that painting and not out of any sense of disrespect or disregard for all your goodness, but they'll just blot it out and start a new canvas today. Start to dream with a new pastor and his wife coming. Start to envision and dream what that new painting might look like as you begin to use them all together as a family to pursue whatever it is you want them to follow and pursue. God bless this church today. Bless their hearts. Bless each and every one who's here. Bless them and help them to grow in their Christian life, we ask in your precious name. Amen.